Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good morning, everyone. This is our first sit-down interview in the Storytellers Studio at Edgebrook Center. Once again, thank you to Sandy Dingus and also Greg Orput for donating this fantastic space for us to be able to set up our WROK and WZOK memorabilia, old radios. We're playing vinyl all the time that we're here, and we're calling in some radio friends to share their stories uh, so we can coincide with WROK's 100th anniversary, which is coming up in 2023. And my first is Doug McDuff. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I started there in 1923. My first broadcast was on KFLV, which it was called before it switched to WROK back in 1963. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Anything else? I'll see you later. <laughs> How you doing, guy? I'm doing good great. Good to see you, Tim. I, good to see you again. Yeah. You know, you are pretty much the reason this all started, because we get together at Stockholm for lunch, and all these stories flow out, and Liz Wilder and I walk out into the parking lot going, oh my God, look at all those stories. And about eight months ago, we said to each other, what's the matter with us? We're radio people. We have the equipment. Why are we not recording these stories? And you brought up the WROK 100th anniversary coming up, and we decided to pull that trigger and get people in here and tell these stories and get it down and be able to share it with everybody across the country. It's hard to concentrate when I look around this, this massive studio and seeing all these memories on the wall. I don't know where you got all this stuff, but I, every single picture in this play, well, not everyone, most of them remind me of a situation in my many years at the company uh, I was there, in, as I've told you before, in two tours of duty. I was there from 1965 to 1971 at the origin of, we all know what became of ROK. That was its, its actual beginning of what we think of now as ROK started back in the 60s. Yes. That's when it started to really grow and yes. catch on and prosper. Yes. And then I went back in 1980 and stayed till 1992. So it's two tours of duty. So who hired you to begin with? That was a, a guy named Vern Nolte, one of the best people I ever worked for in my life, Dave Salisbury, and uh, a program director by the name of, and I'll think of it in a second here because he goes back to the 60s, he's now deceased, Jerry Collins was his air name. Oh my. I was I, almost, I almost slipped with his real name and I'm sure the family wouldn't like that get yeah. out there because they were very secretive about his real name. But anyway, Jerry Collins hired hmm. me along with Dave Salisbury, the sales manager and general manager, and, of course, Vern Nolte. And what did they hire you to do back then? They hired me to do middays, and that's when we stood up and did our shows. Oh, it was still yeah. music. But it was yes. before the May. See, Vern Nolte was, the reason I so love and respect the memory of Vern is he was such a creative guy and didn't wait for things to happen. He made them happen. Mm -hmm. And Vern was the guy who said at, at about 1968, I think it was, Doug, the future of AM radio is talk. Talk and news is the future of AM radio. Mm -hmm. Our sister station, which was then just an annoying little thing I had to deal with on the side. Beautiful w music. Beautiful music, WZOK. It was called WROKFM at that time. Yeah. And I had to nurse it and, and change tapes on it, which was annoying. Yeah, it was automation. Yeah, it was run a by a computer. Shulky format, I think yes, it was. Yes, yes. we had to change the tapes. Didn't later on it go to Drake Chenault? Too? Yes, and it also went to Blue Ribbon Country for a no short period kidding. of time. It went wow. to country. Uh, again, Vern, being the f guy with the vision, saw that country was going to be a big part of radio in all markets eventually. So he and a lot of other people at the station decided to go to Blue Ribbon Country. They hired uh, a guy out of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, 
to do the music. Appropriate. It did, he spent the money to do things. He was yes. uh, not afraid to expe- expend the uh, money to make things happen. Well, you know, the thing with Vern, and, and I worked with Vern probably about three years, he was not only the visionary in programming, but he was also a tinkerer with equipment oh, yeah. in inventing the triptone for the cart machines. And he was also just as equally, I guess, half of it would be visionary, and the other half would be they let people do their jobs in the sales department. His greatest thing, he told me once, we were on a cruise together back in the uh, mid-'80s with his wife and Dave Salisbury and his wife and Mary Mm -hmm. and myself, and we were in the middle of the ocean on a beautiful day. And he's talking about how one of the things he loves the best is seeing people leave the company to go on to better things at some point in time. He enjoyed that. He was proud of the fact that many of his students, if you want to call us that, went on to other bigger and better things. And if you stayed, you pretty much had a job for life if you wanted to stay there. But if you left, he wouldn't throw another offer at you. He'd say, God bless, go for it. No, that's true. Now that you mention it. But you mentioned the the other part that was great about uh, dealing with Vern. He enjoyed all the assets, uh, facets of the business. In other words, he didn't favor programming over sales or no. sales and programming over engineering. He was into all three. He dabbled in all three. Yeah. He made a lot of his money by inventing the tape cartridge machine. Yeah. But I think that he encouraged that programming and that sales department and that engineering not to be obstacles for each other. Right. And if, if you in the programming department needed help, then go talk to the sales department. Right. He was very departmentalized and and did not favor one over the other. If there was a dispute between a programmer and a a, a sales manager, let's say, things were ironed out in his office. He'd listen to both sides, make his decision. Judge Vern. But Judge Vern, (laughs) way before Judy, uh, Judge Vern would make the decision, the ultimate decision. You know, you always knew who was the boss, but he didn't rule with an iron fist. No, you know what I categorize this as? I I talked to my son the other day who works at a TV station now, and I said, I don't know if you have somebody at your place now because, you know, media is organized chaos in a newsroom. I said, the people in the top office, at least in the radio station that I worked with at WROK, he would rule by presence. So he would take a stroll through the radio station, and he would weave himself through the FM sales and down through the newsroom and come in between the AM. And he never said anything. I mean, every now and then he'd pop in, but say something, maybe a sentence or two. But you always knew that he was listening and paying attention and you also knew he was accessible. And he was also a very formal man in a way and yet very casual at the same time. In other words, he never came to the station dressed casually like people do today in radio. Oh, no. He had a suit, a suit and tie every day. Every day. And he walked in. And when I was new there, his coming into the studio and sitting down, I didn't know at first. that this, I thought he might be there to critique. He was just there to, like you say, observe. Yeah. And he never said anything until he was ready to leave. He wouldn't talk over the mic or anything, and he yeah. didn't want to involve himself, but he'd let you know he cared enough about each department to make his appearance. That's right. And I felt comfortable with it after a while, but at first, oh, the big guy's here. I got, you know, <laughs> when you're a young kid, a novice in the business, like in 1965 when I first worked for him, we never called him Vern until later when he gave me permission to call him Vern. By oh, no, it's it always Mr. Nolte. That's right, because you, you were sphinctered up enough that calling him Vern would just and, worsen it. In fact, <laughs> there are some people to this day who object to me ever referring to him as Vern. But he told you to. <laughs> he told me to, and I, I yeah. took him at his word. But still, if we were at a, at a party, like when we had that big party for the 60th anniversary oh, back yeah. in uh, whatever year that was, 83, I can't remember what year. I think it was, it was 83. All right, it was 83. At that party... I referred to him to everybody I talked to as Mr. Nolte, just as a matter of respect. Yeah. And that yeah. was a party to end all parties. That was a party that I really regret that I was not around for. You weren't for that one. That I one... was in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay, I forgot that. And yeah. that was, oh, didn't you have the Tommy Dorsey yes, Orchestra? Yes, he had, and what was left of the Glenn Miller Group, he had so many organizations there. And it was at the clock tower, the almighty clock tower, which will now be a casino, I understand. But yes. it was a beautiful place then. I think he told me his cost out of pocket from the company was over $50,000 to throw this party. Now, in 83, that was a tidy sum. It is. And he wanted to have a big splash 
And believe me, it was. But when you're that profound in the community and you're doing that well and you made that much money from all these advertisers and you mean so much to people, he knew you don't get another chance at a 60th anniversary. And you, and you better do it right. And he did. he did. And he had people from all over the country that showed up. The former owner of the newspaper showed up, Bill Todd. Oh, my. Bill Todd showed up. Really? And politicians, I don't want to go through the litany of people, but there were politicians from that you'd know if I could think of all their names that were there. But it was 83. That's a while back. And uh, So you probably have the Lynn Martins of the world. Oh, God, yes. yes. It, was, it, was, yes. it was a wonderful, wonderful event. We'll never forget it. And we were all on duty. This was an all-hands-on-deck party where everybody didn't have exact assignments, but you definitely, it was almost like going to a wedding and, and being in that line to meet oh, people. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, even was, though you're not getting married. Right, right. <laughs> well, I was married to WRK for quite a while, but it, it was a great company to work for, and uh, it, 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 it's just a, a part of my career. I didn't work my entire career there, but a big segment, as I told you, from 65 to 71 mm-hmm. and, and from 80 to 92. And you did... Not afternoons, but you also did two stints at the morning show, one with Bill Phillips and one with Dan Willis. Oh, yeah. Mornings was my big thing, even to the end. I know, but yeah. you, you think of all the variety that you did. I right. mean, there's going to be some people that are only going to think of Uncle Doug McDuff in the afternoons because maybe they worked mornings and they couldn't listen to the radio, and that's all they know you as. But there was this whole other side to the craziness that you dealt with. One reason, one desires to get the morning shift is it pays the most money yeah and if you get the morning shift on rok it's a great achievement and the most listeners i got the most attention well later on in my career i got the morning shift at wokya milwaukee you Mm -hmm. want mornings is where the action is where the money at least maybe it's different today like there are some big markets that afternoon pays almost as much as the morning yeah everything's different in radio now (laughs) well well if anybody's working yeah or if they go into the building that's what I mean. Yeah, it's, that's it's, one thing. That's one thing about WROK and WZOK, especially in the old building, which is on the same property where right. the antenna is, Tamarack right. Lane, Brendan Wood, whatever you want to call it. It was a beehive of creativity. It was nuts when you ended up getting something from the continuity department yeah. and they handed off to the announcers. And by the time it came back out on tape, it may be drastically different than what they wrote because these people would put their energy into it. And then the newsroom was a whole different beehive. Well, I had a problem sometimes with copywriters because I had a tendency <laughs> to innovate and, 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 and do my own thing with commercials. You were our Robin Williams is what you were. I, I think I was a troublemaker is what I really was. <laughs> I, I think there are people that will hear this uh, that might still be alive that will say, he was a big pain in the you-know-what Yes, <laughs> at times. Yes. And I think I was. But it was part of the creative process. And we, we, we kid about it at times when we see these people now. But at the time, I would imagine copywriters and producers and uh, people that ran the board have less than kind things to maybe say about myself and others over the years. Because at times we had fun with them, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, but I think that's applicable through TV or oh, sure. film sure. or Hollywood or any of that kind it's of real. stuff. It's real. It's real. It's, yes. it's just the way it was. And, and I... I would kill to get back to those wonderful days. I, it's just, it's kind of gone today. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, when uh, when Joe Salvia, WLUV, died uh, in 2020 at the age of 98, he was still owning WLUV. He told Virgie, because there was no wife, no kids, he told Virgie, just turn the lights out and shut the door. Well, you can't do that with a radio station. It was dumped in um, Joe's niece's lap. We got in there and started doing live shows because of exactly what you said. You had the desire to do that again. And when I had you in, just as a chat, there was no agenda, none whatsoever. We had no idea where we were going to go. We thought it was going to be about 30 minutes. And what did it turn into, about three and a Uh, half hours? I'm still waiting for my check. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Don't hold your breath on that one. Maybe maybe get a a Meg's gift card. What I liked is that you had that, uh, you know, those were like the old days when you had the option to do things. You didn't have to have it cleared through Sue Buckwalter or whoever owned it at that time. I think it was Sue. Yeah. And and, uh, it was... uh, uh, a fun experience. I enjoyed it, and it was really more than just a trip down memory lane. It was jogging my memory in a lot of things. You hit the right questions and hit the right buttons with me, then I would take off. Mm-hmm. And and it, we, it was a free forum that you don't get much chance. Like this is free forum. Yes, and I really there's no ho- notes here. I really yeah. hope that this 
you know, because you're our first sit down. I really hope that the people that are going to take advantage to come in here, I hope they will get the exact same thing out of it as you just said. Yeah. That it conjures up memories, whether it be looking at a picture on the wall or something I said or something Liz said, and then off you go. It's like, geez, I forgot about that chili shootout or whatever. And this is good for me, too, at my tender age uh, to, <laughs> to jog my memory and go back to those wonderful days. Because, you know, when you get older, really all you have is memories. Yeah, that's true. What was your favorite promotion? And I know I that's would, lo- using the term loosely. Yeah, so I you think can that go wherever you want. One that my old radio partner Bill Phillips came up with, I thought was one of the best I was involved with, and that was the Goodyear blimp landing at the Rockford Airport. Oh my, I it, remember that. And that upset many people that might remember those days because there was no Goodyear blimp at the airport, but people went anyway. No, but there were plenty of snipes out there. Weren't well, there? that's <laughs> the point. This was all April Fool oriented. Yeah. And next year we pulled another one and it worked because remember, like politicians know, people have short memories. They do. And they, they don't look at the calendar and say, oh, it's April Fool. The radio guys are going to really come up with one this year. No. Well, we came up with some other ones that weren't quite as good. But the one that I liked the best of that era was when people were told you could get ROK on Channel One. <laughs> so they brought their, I'm telling you, there's one born every minute. And we saw a bunch of them. They came out to the grounds of ROK off Brendanwood Road with their little TV and their antennas. And we said, if you put some tinfoil in the end of your antenna, you get better reception. And so, they did it. So they're here they are. They're running <laughs> oh, they extension cords. I could not believe it. You know, like the old, there's one born every minute? Yeah. There were a lot of them born. So they, I remember them having them on the roofs of their cars. It, it was, it, it worked. It, it was just so great. The other one, I, I don't know how much time we have today, but the other one that I remember that I was involved with with Dan Willis well, the, we've done the sitting on top of the billboards and all that kind of stuff that everybody's done. Oh, during ratings mode, right, sure. Right, yeah, the, yeah. The, the book promotions. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. The one I remember, it was my idea, and at first Vern Nolte and my partner, Dan Willis, weren't really high on this one. I came up with this idea to stay on the air. You got to get this now. We're in Rockford, Illinois, right? Yeah. Cub Town, White Sox Town, whatever. Of course, yeah. I said, let's stay on the air until the Baltimore Orioles win a game. And you're going, what in the hell do you care about the Baltimore Orioles? Exactly. That's exactly what Vern said okay. and others. And, so why didn't got, you listen to all these people? Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I, I, I did it anyway. And I said, I really think this will work. And by God, it worked. And we got calls from all over the country from radio stations. And you know, Vern Nolte, if you do something that catches on, he's into it full boat. Yeah. And he came to me one day and he said, McDuffin's a great thing. It's a great thing. I'm glad we did this. And, and after telling me it was a stupid idea at first, yeah. he, bu- he bought but, into it. And it got. It, we were on the air for, I, I can't remember the exact number of days. Let's say it was 15 days. Because when you do this, you have to stay on the air until they win a game. Now, yeah. remember, it started out they'd lost like the first, I don't know how many games. Yeah. And I said, wouldn't it be fun? I thought it'd be four or five days <laughs> tops, right? Fun? Wouldn't it be fun to do this and just stay on the air and sit there and people <laughs> will bring us food and we'll get all kinds of attention? Which and, they did. They did. Yeah, but didn't they bring what, you recliners? Everything. I got furniture up the wazoo. Oh, I that's all, painful. And, and food. <laughs> no, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It was wonderful. But what you didn't realize when you did this, there are times when you have a Friday game, a night game that they lose. Oh, no. And they don't play again until Sunday or Monday. <laughs> oh, no. That means you have to stay there with no chance of getting out of this torture of staying on the air that long. <laughs> and you have to stay over the weekend. Now, Truth disclosed, we left from 1 to 4 in the morning because that's when they did some automated stuff yeah. in those days. Yeah. So we got to go home and shower and go back. Yeah. And that was also tough because I tried to nap. Try and nap and then no. go back to do this. No, you can't do well, it. And then there was one point where the station thought, and I don't know if it was Vern or Dave or somebody came up with the idea, why don't we bring in a psychologist or psychiatrist to talk to Dan and Doug? Because this has been going on now for 9, 10 days, and they're getting a little cranky. Well, you need a new angle, too. Well, the point is, the psychiatrist does the check for both of us on on the off time, uh, when we were in commercials or whatever, and he asks questions. This brilliant man at about $100 an hour says, I think uh, you boys are suffering from... uh, not amnesia. What's the word? Sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation. <laughs> I said, no blank. Yeah. <laughs> you and think? The, and by the way, <laughs> me coming up with that answer for you, that'll cost you 50 bucks. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a good price for today. That is. Uh, I, anyway, so that was the end of it was finally when they won a game and it was all over. And it was a beautiful, fun experience. 
and I never want to do it again. <laughs> of course not. Never but you know, the nice part about that is you were not at a location. You were in your confines. Yes. If you had committed to be somewhere like at a ball diamond, oh, that would be a train wreck. No. It, oh, it, it would not work. This had to be at the end. The only nice thing is instead of sitting in the chairs like this, which is not the most comfortable thing to sit in for a, about a month. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I was sitting in a, in, a, in a comfortable lounge, and I wish I could remember which sponsor brought it. But let's say it was Bloomquist Furniture at that time. It was oh, okay. somebody famous. Could have been Hanley. Could, could have been, been Rockford Standard. Let's get them all in there. Could have been Gustafson's. At that, at that time, yeah. yeah. No matter who it was, they brought it. And we got to keep the, it was, when it's all over, we got to keep all the stuff. Well, yeah, because they, cause they yeah. didn't want your I don't funk have it now. in the it's, it's chair no. back on the showroom. But I'm trying to think of some of the places at that time. Food was brought in by Jungle Gyms, by Hoffman House, by you name it. Lino's. Lino's. Everybody yes. brought, a, well, they got attention. Of course they we did. We got free food, which we all love did. as radio people. Yes. And and yeah. uh, it was a wonderful experience. So that was probably wow. my top of, of experiences, even though there were times I was kind of cranky and like trying to get out of it. I went into the Jamie Grout, I think, was the program director at the time, and I went into Jamie and says, "All right, this was fun, but it's over. We're we're, we're had enough." I spoke right. for Dan too, right. and Dan was feeling the same way, but I'm the only one that said it. <laughs> I think it's time to end this thing. Vern got involved. Said, no, Doug, you went this far. You're going to continue, oh. and I did. You it wasn't it wasn't nasty, you know. When Vern said continue, I continued. Of all people, the guy who comes up with the idea wants out of it after a while. Yeah. It's yeah. just long enough. Yeah, yeah. And didn't you get calls from Steve Dahl in Chicago? Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer made damn fools out of us. It, it was fun, though, to be made a damn fool of by that market. Were they we, at WLS at yes. the time? Wow. And they were on. And we so were on. Going, what are these nuts in Rockford Exactly. Doing? That's what they said. Why don't you go in and tell them to forget this damn thing and let's just get out of this. Come on, do it right now. Show you got some cojones. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. Steve Dahl actually was funny about it. Gary Meyer got almost nasty with it. You know? Oh, you know, but it like, was, why would you ever? Yeah, but he, it was yeah. that. That was, and we got calls from Baltimore, obviously, because that's the the big guy on the Baltimore broadcast called us. Oh did the did the games? Yes, I got it from all over the country, from California to wow. New York to Chicago. Obviously, Vern loved the fact that it worked on a publicity basis, and advertisers were lining up to get on the show. Of course. Just to be part of it. Now, that was you being on the other side of the interview process. What, as you as an interviewer, who has been one of your favorite interview? There are so many. I think I'd have to put at the top of my list Bob Hope. I had him on twice, once in person and once uh, at the golf course. Three times. And he each time was when he came to Rockford because he loved to play golf, and he was always coming to town for the Pro-Am. Yes. So because of the Pro-Am, which I miss, because it was a great source for radio people to get interviews, because of the Pro-Am, I got to sit with and talk to an interview at the Pro-Am. The guy who played Mannix, Mike Connors, I think yes. was his name. I got him. Yes. Festus of Gunsmoke was in town one time. I got him in the studio. He'd go in and out of character. Did you talk to Linda Carter when she was no. here with Bob? Missed that. No? Missed okay. that. All right. Uh, as far as the, the females, I had the most fun with the, the one that played uh, Ernestine Lily Tomlin. Oh, yes. I got her in the studio. She gave me an autographed record she Aww. made. And her, her only affectation was she sat there with two dogs under her arms while she was sitting doing the interview. Little, Did she come into WROK? Oh, yeah. Sat with me in the studio. And she brought her dog. By the way, the ones I met in person in the studio, one of the nicest guys I ever met in my life. I had him twice. Donnie Osmond. Oh, my. Yeah. Now, you know how I get screwed up on some things at times, get, forgetting where I'm going? Well, Donnie Osmond <laughs> sat there, and he was the kindest guy in the world. And I wanted to promote his upcoming show that he was doing in okay. Chicago and then in Rockford. Okay. And it was called... Joseph. The dream coat. What was it? Uh, Joseph. Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. Joseph would be the right way to say it. <laughs> I introduced you it say, as Joey? Jason. Jason. Jason and the amazing. <laughs> this is so McDuff. I couldn't believe it myself that I did it. And he was nice. Get it? You talk about a nice guy. He was sweet. He never corrected me. Later <gasps> on in the interview, I said, you know, after a break, I said, I think I made a mistake earlier on. He says, that's okay as long as they come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was so cool about it. To this day, I think he's probably one of the nicest guys I ever interviewed. Didn't you tell me that you interviewed Red Skelton, too? I'm sitting at the Metro Center, and the crowds were away from him. He was going to do his show later, but he was autographing for people that wanted to buy some of his etchings and paintings, clowns and other things. Oh, But he was so sweet and so nice, just him and I. Oh. And I, I'm sitting there. Now, this is one without the old woolen sack or whatever you had in the old days. Yeah. This was just me talking to him. 
Not on the air. You, you had no equipment? No equipment you at all. You didn't record no, it? Not at all. That's the bad part of that one. But I don't care. It was a great interview with me talking to him one-on-one, and it was just great. So then did you spin it around and have him back on? No. No. I, I you that should have been my engineer, no, my producer. I, I you really do think well. Yeah. 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 Wow. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And uh, one of the other ones was uh, George Burns by did phone. Really? By phone before he came to the Metro Center. He, he did his whole thing about his history with Gracie and the whole thing. It was just wonderful. Nice. I think the more I think about it, there, there are some great, great memories that I've still got up here. But here's where that Tim Larson should have been part of my life then to do these things. <laughs> You'd have probably saved all this stuff. Well, yeah. I don't have any of it saved that I oh. can find. I've looked of tapes of all this stuff. Never thought of the future yeah. when I might want to go back and dig all this up. Someday. Well, there is a very fine line between being a collector and a hoarder. It's a very fine line. Well, I line. think you're nearer the hoarder. I, I am, yeah. because look at this but place. But at least you've got it so you can walk and, in here, though. Yes. I've been to places yes. where I had a, well, I won't go into that, but I have a relative that was a hoarder, and you walked into her house, and you had to make pathways yes. to get in. Yeah, I've been in those houses, too. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. A, it's, oh, yeah. A, it's a sickness in a way, and yet it's a joy for those people because they can't get rid of anything. Yeah. They can't get rid of anything. And, and the nice part about what we have done here is not only that people have jumped on board to allow it to happen, you know, the people from Edgebrook and stuff like that, but this stuff does very little good unless I show it to my friends. Right. Mm -hmm. It's sitting in a box. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's a good thing for me because when I bring this thing out of a box, it's like, oh my God, I forgot I had that. And all of a sudden you start talking. But it doesn't do anybody any good sitting downstairs in a Rubbermaid tub. I still have got to know. Now, I know about the records. that You stole those because we all did. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> I'm sorry. The interview's over. Yeah, no, but seriously, <laughs> you have some stuff in here. I wonder, where did he get all of this? Why didn't I save some of this? Well, I've got a few, but not the collection well, you've well, got. Well, most of it is either pictures. Or, you know, that wall there, that's all stuff cut out of the newspaper when the actual advertising for the radio station happened. Or I kept a flyer, let's say for a walkathon for MDA or something yeah. like that. We would print up thousands of these things. And it was flat, so it was easy. All the radios I picked up at antique malls or the Peck thing, or I'd get them for maybe, I don't know, $20, $30 a piece. I mean, I picked these up when I was. 25 or 30 years old. But you, I've had you've them that been long. collecting a long time. That explains yes, it right there. Yeah. Yes. If yes. I'd have saved everything from the year I got into radio, which was 1960, by the way, mm. Appleton, Wisconsin, WHBY, mm. if anybody's listening up there. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I, I've lasted till 2017. My, my last gig was up in uh, Janesville for oh. Big Radio Group. Wow. So you just keep going back to cheese country, don't you? Well, you know, I've had. My total career in Janesville was only about three years. Not Janesville, in Wisconsin radio. It was only about three, four years. Because first job doesn't usually last very long. I was out of there pretty quick and went to St. Charles, Missouri for uh, oh. KWRE, 730 on the AM dial, not far from Liz Wilder's area. <laughs> yeah. And we'd go up to places like Hannibal, which she knows well. And uh, Yeah. I only mention Liz because she happens to be in the studio right now, and I, I'd rather have be looking at her than you, to tell you the truth. But well, go ahead. That's you a thing with me. Way. <laughs> you don't have to take signals from me. You oh, can... that's right. We're not on TV, no, are, or are we? No, you can. I look... never know with you, you know. She's running the controls. Is but... this candid camera? No, <laughs> oh. no, but boy, it should be. Holy cow. Oh, there she is. There she is. Oh. Does that help? Well, you know, I told my wife years ago, my dear departed Mary, I said, I gave you my heart, but not my eyeballs, you know? Yeah. And or then, your ears, or your or, mouth. Or, I, I got to tell you, Doug, and there has been more people say this in the ma- last year that we've done different either lunches or the WLUB yeah. thing or whatever. They said Doug has the exact same set of pipes that he had when he was on the radio. And I that's think a, part of that might be that I never smoked. I know, but that's because a huge compliment as you age. I, I guess it is, yeah. Yes, it is a huge compliment. Wish so, I had the same legs and everything else. Well... But- yeah, but nobody needs to know about that. No, no. I mean, I, I, I am working out. I still go work out three days a week. Yeah, we could sexy you up. Hey, can, <laughs> is there any story that you can tell that was within the walls of the radio station that, you know, sort of behind the scenes type of thing that you get a big kick out of? Some of them you can't tell on the on any kind of – of course, this is not – This is a podcast. This is a podcast. But one of them – one of my favorites ended up on the air. I didn't know it would. When my, my good friend Dave Salisbury, the general manager, 
You could do a whole hour on Dave Salisbury's stories. Yes, you could. Uh-huh. But yes, I'm not could. going to do that because I don't want to be but arrested. But the one you're going to tell is a prime one, so well, I'm it's, glad it, you're bringing it up. It's prime because a lot of people might remember it was back in the 80s, and I was interviewing a local psychic mystic astrologer. Audrey Dempsey? Exactly. <laughs> was it really? Good memory. Yeah, she's passed. Audrey Dempsey was doing an interview with me, and the mic was on, her mic was on, and the, and the light in the hallway was on, on air. Well, Dave, in his inimitable style, <laughs> opened the door to the studio and yelled, and I don't know if I can say this. Yes, you can. Okay. He yelled, hey, Audrey, when am I going to get my next piece of ass? And I thought, that's the end. As much as Vern Nolte likes me, I'm out. But there was no time delay. I, no, there was no tape delay, no, nothing. I, no. Well, and who'd expect that anyway? No. He, he, and he, he felt so bad about it later because after he was beaten up. No, no, seriously. <laughs> he, he, he was just so innocent about it. It was just Dave. Because I went into the studio, into his office after. Vern, I, I don't know if you've heard about this, but I want you to know from me what happened. <laughs> he says, I know all about it. It's been taken care of. It's like, Dave, we need to we need to remind you again. There's a reason for the on-air light over the door. Yeah. There's a Here, let me explain the reason to you again. <laughs> well, it happened, and we all survived and laughed about it later, but it did happen. It's one of those things oh, where God. I was scared to death. <laughs> that is so classic. Yeah. Hey, do you have a, uh, a favorite listener call story? I have so many because I had I thought of my listeners as not just listeners, but as associates and friends and contributors to the program. Yes. Because without some of those characters, I called them, in yes. a friendly, nice way, I would not have had the ratings results and show that I had because I worked and fed off of many of those callers. Mm-hmm. There was one guy that did the greatest Harry Carey impression that I've ever heard in my life. Oh, really? You would have thought it was Harry on the phone. Oh, that's cool. And I try and do, but I can't do as good as he did. And he's still out there. His name is Humphreys, his last name. He's, I don't know wow. if Steve's around here now or not, but he did the greatest. I didn't know who he was until later on. He introduced himself to me at a live broadcast. Mm. And he started talking. And I said, <laughs> you're Harry. <laughs> By the way, I never knew most of these people. But a lot of them were characters. Yeah. There was one guy we called Larry Jerry because he called himself on the air Larry, and his real name was Jerry. Well, and if they're really good, they know when to call in. They oh, know when to feed you something. It's like it's part of. The, it's like they yes. should get a check for working for me. Yes, yes, they are, exactly. Some of them were so good and so regular. There was one I just called the liberal lady because I was known as more conservative. She was called the liberal lady when she called up. Never gave her name, mm-hmm. and we didn't give most names of people. Oh. Most people, unless they wanted to be known. Like Jake wanted to be known as Jake when he called up. And he, okay. he, he, we all know who Jake was, and he had his opinions, and I had mine, and many times we agreed. But there was a lot of characters. I wish I could think of the litany of people over the years. One, I'm glad I don't remember her name because this turned out to be kind of sad in a way. If you think of me, Doug McDuff, you've known me for a while, right? Mm-hmm, of course. And Liz, you've known me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any way in the world anybody would mistake Doug McDuff for Pat Boone. No way, right? No. No way at all. No way in hell. No. Well, this lady, this lady, now this is is sad in a way, but I got to tell it because it was a story from back in the 60s. It was my first episode doing talk radio on a show called Public Opinion. Mm. Vern had the foresight to know that we're going to get into talk eventually. I want you to do a show called Public Opinion. So you take some time off from your morning show. I was doing 5 to 10 then. Take some time off, come back at noon, go on from 1230 to 2 with public opinion because Jerry's leaving us, going to Indiana. Jerry Collins was quitting to take over a job in Lafayette, Indiana. That's a long day for you. It was a long day, but he made it worthwhile financially. Yeah, so go home, and I'll give you some more to come back. Well, but how and about then, sleep deprivation? Well, Maybe I had that. that. Was, yes. If you're in radio, you get that, especially <laughs> if you're a morning guy. Yeah, every like, I didn't know there was a guy named Johnny Carson until 1990-something. I really don't know who she was, but she would call all the time. And when, it, when, it, when she got on with me, and it got deep into the fact that she thought I was pretending to be Doug McDuff on the radio, when in reality, I'm her long-lost lover, Pat Boone. Now, this was not oh. funny. I tried to make it funny, but Mary didn't think it was very funny, because she said, Doug, you have a stalker. And, and she wouldn't let it go. No, no, no. Eventually, God bless Judge John Ghent at the time, traced down this somehow got to find out who she was, and she was committed because she had a lot of problems. So he put a kibosh to it. He took care of it for me. 
Wow. But that was back in the in the late 60s, like but, 68, 69. But you know, for these listeners, and, and they're going to listen to you for a long period of time, yeah. it's not just hit and miss in a car. They are so connected to you that they just they just think that you're the neighbor. We next never door. did find out where she got. But here's the worst part: she sent gifts to the radio station, yeah. and the, the front front office knew. Here's another one, Pat. Yeah, Pat Boone was getting more. Yeah, suits from Robert Hall. Suits, suits from oh, Robert not, Hall. We're not talking cupcakes. I turned in everything. <gasps> Judge Gent knew about this at the time. Every bit of. Anything I got, if it was a tie, a suit, a coat, anything, a box of candy, all. It was given to some charity, or I don't know what they did with it, but I sure didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Anything. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That was that was one. That's a sad story, but a true story of, of, of my past in the business. That was the only one I can think of that was a little traumatic. But it, it is reality for yeah. all of us well, at one level or another. And I always think of that movie. Play Misty for me? Yes. Yeah, with Clint Eastwood. And it gives me ch- shivers to think about that movie and that incident in my life. Because at the time, it wasn't funny. No. And I have never told this story publicly. But it's realistic. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It happened. Wow. And, and it was part of my history. Now, you had a split life. You were half in the You're sales not going to talk about my dresses, are you? <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think John... I stopped that, okay? I don't think John Carlson's menswear sold dresses, but whatever. I got mine uh, from Garrity Costumes. Did you? Yeah. Wow, oh, nice. The slowing dresses were beautiful. <laughs> no, but seriously. Jamie Farr borrowed some of your ideas when he did Mash, He borrowed some I'm of sure. my dresses, too. <laughs> yeah. Wow, interesting. <laughs> Um, he was thinner, but you were you were uh, you were a split personality. I in still the, am. In the, in the you were in the in the sales department. Oh, that's right. You, that's right. I served. I forgot. I served. I forgot that. I part. often said, "Well, I served two masters." You know, but do you know why you do that? If you're going to be the so-called big fish in a medium to small size pond, yeah. like Rockford Radio is not the big market, but I made a good living by learning that sales. You found that out later in your life to, when you formed Skyward Promotions. Sure. Sales and marketing is where the money is. Sure. And people in the radio business don't want to admit this, but most announcers make a lot less than most salesmen. Yes. At least when I started. Yes. It's getting a little better with some markets now, but there's less people to pay. That's true. You walk in the building at ROK right now, instead of having five or ten announcers, they got one or two. That's right. It's a different world now. And they have four stations instead of two. Right. So the numbers are sort of really weirdly flipped. Right. But, that, but anyway, they're you're, not you're the right. I, I was, I've been a sales manager, salesman, and announcer for many, many years, and I loved every minute of it. So tell me a Ron Galena story. Ron Galena was your sales manager on the WROK side. Tell me a I Ron got, Galena okay, story. Okay, here's one of my favorites. Ron and I had a love-hate relationship for a while because, you know, he was my boss in the sales side, but he also said, look, when you're working on the sales side, I'm your boss. Forget the radio on the air thing. That's another deal. Remember, if you're going to sell for me, and he was honest, he was right. He wanted you to punch a clock when you stepped into the sales. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, my favorite story, though, was I was always a little bit of a rebel in a way. Really? Unpredictable. Wow. And, and, and there was one time. Really? Do you remember the days of pagers? <laughs> yes, of okay. course. This is my favorite pager story about all time. I had my pager, and Ron liked to keep track of his people. He had mm-hmm. rules, show up at 8.30, 11.30, and 4.30 every day, no matter what. Okay. He, 11.30, feeling, right before lunch? Yes. His, his whole idea was, I want to see my people, otherwise I think they're screwing around somewhere. Oh. So he, he kept watching all his salespeople, 8.30, oh. 11.30, and 4.30. Phil Davidson could tell you that story if you ever talked to Phil. Yeah, but didn't you take clients out to lunch on a regular okay, basis but you better clear it with him first ah uh, okay but, all right but okay this is the funny part all right in my desk i left my pager when i was gone for the whole day and ron was trying to page me on my pager and when i came in at 4 30 for check-in time he said doug where you been all day i said i was making my calls i did this he says well i'm gonna call your pager right now i said well i bet it's in my desk that made him more mad because you cut his umbilical cord. <laughs> well, but I'll ne- he was so angry. I swear, I never saw him like that. But it w- we became friends over the years. Went fishing together. Everything ended Aww. up in a good way. But th- that was the time when I think he could have fired me on the spot. He didn't because I was producing for him and the company. But he had those rules. Yeah. And if you had your pager and you weren't wearing it when he was trying to reach you, that was verboten. <laughs> that was not good. And there were no cell phones back then. And you should have seen the other salesmen no. in the office. The Phil Davidsons, the Gene Hendricks, are all sitting there 
They know what's coming. He's going to call that page. It's going to go off in Doug's desk. Oh, it was. It was something I'll never forget. My favorite Ron Galena story. Uh, oh, there are many. Oh, there are. But this is my favorite. Do you remember J.D. Stewart? He did 6 to 10 p.m. Yeah. on WZOK. Yeah. Didn't I, know him well, but. I don't know where J.D. came from, but he didn't know anybody in the in the station. He was hired based on a resume tape or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, you're at 6 to 10 at night. He's coming in to talk with Linda and Jan and get all of his human resources paperwork all together and meet everybody and, you know, the meeting with the program director and so on and so forth. Well, he tells me this story later on. He keeps going by this big room that nobody's in except this one guy because it's middle of the day. All the salespeople are out doing their calls, and there sits Ron Galena. So he walks by this door, and he's on his way to somewhere else, and he sees this guy reading the newspaper. And then he walks by again, and he's reading the newspaper with his feet up on the desk. And then he walks by again, and he's still reading the newspaper, <laughs> only his feet are turned around, and they're up on another desk. And he goes, that just bugged the shit out of me. He goes, I just I couldn't stand it. I didn't know who he was, but I had to walk in. And I says, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm J.D. Stewart. I'm the new night guy in WZOK. And he goes, hey, I'm Ron Galini. He goes, what do you do here? <laughs> He says, because I've walked by this room several times and you're reading the newspaper. Well, you know, he wanted to double check on what the clients were spending in another medium, really. He goes, I'm the sales manager for the AM sales team. And he goes, really? Really? I've been to other radio stations and no, those people don't do what you just did today. Nice seeing you. Ron spun around to him. This is JD telling me the story. Yeah. Ron spun around to him and he goes, I cannot believe you came into the radio station dressed that way. And he goes, well, dressed what way? He goes, well, I'm going to be on the air from 6 until 10 tonight. He goes, yeah, but you need to dress the part. So from that day forward, J.D. would always jab Ron about reading the newspaper and how he was dressed, which Ron was always dressed great. Impeccably. And Ron would always say, I can't believe you wore that today. Yeah. And it was just an ongoing joke. But he, right. had, you, he had some you've, cojones. You've, and you're very good at this. You triggered another <laughs> memory. All right. Ron, at one time in his career, was very fussy about how his people dressed, correct? Mm. And many times, he had a scissors in his uh, drawer. And if somebody came in with a tie he didn't like, he cut it off. So you would never Not wear it again? Sure, no, you'd never wear that one again, for sure. <laughs> and I, in today's world, that would have been human resources problem number one for the day, oh, right? Yeah. You don't do that. To that would, yeah. But he got by with it. Nobody ever complained. They just went and bought a new tie, right? Well, one time, Dougie, who was fashion conscious back in the 70s, wore to work a dress and, in another day, casual leisure suit. Now, to Ron Galena, that was like dressing in in dungarees to go out and sell. Yeah, you can't. Or or, or bib overalls. Yes, yes. That's That's how he looked at it. Yeah. One day, I came in with the dress leisure suit, which had a tie. I said, Ron, this has a tie. Now, he didn't cut my tie off, but he sure let me know never right. wear a leisure suit to this station again. So you were I, balancing on logistics I was, instead of fashion. Well, I was, I was a fashion star at that time, I oh, thought. Yeah. But, but everybody, oh, yeah. in the, everybody in the room knew what trouble I'd get in doing that. <laughs> because, Ron, even though I bought it from a sponsor, oh. John Carlson's oh, menswear did you really? at the time, I oh, did. Oh, my. But... <laughs> Don't wear a leisure suit. And I bought another one from Parkside Menswear. That was the casual one. Wow. There, was, there was a casual leisure suit and a dress leisure. Both Tehran were the epitome of the Beverly Hillbillies. You so, remember you remember the ties that were sort of square bottom? Yeah. And they were sort of knit? Sort I've of. worn all of them. Remember those? I've worn all of them. I always wore, because I was middays. So I was there when other people would come through. Interviews, people yeah. in the newsroom, celebrities, whatever. The clients. And I always wore a dress-type shirt and, and a tie to yeah. middays because that's that was just the time in the early to mid-80s. Well, that's how 80s. it was when I started the business. Yeah. When I was up in Appleton, I wore a tie every day. <clears throat> Same thing. Not but anymore. No, 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 no. But then when, when things sort of shifted, and lots of times you'd see these clients walk in with polo shirts, I remember seeing some kind of an interview that they were doing with Paul Harvey. And Paul always had a suit and a jacket and the whole nine yards. And he's, him and the engineer, the only guys there at three in the morning. And he decided to come in with a polo shirt one day. And the engineer's just shaking his head, shaking his head. He goes, what are you shaking your head for? This is on the intercom, back and forth. And he goes, you don't sound the same today. You need to dress back the way you did before because you sound different. Nobody sees you, 
but you sound different. And from that day forward, Paul always had a suit on again. You triggered another one. That was one of my favorite guests I ever had on my show. You had Paul Harvey. Oh, yeah, on the phone. And then Dan Willis, my old radio partner and buddy, who I talked to just yesterday, by the way. Good for you. And we'll be doing a show with him on this very podcast at some point in time. Good, good, good. But Dan and I had the pleasure of not only introducing him at the wagon wheel. He was in town for a speech. He flew his own plane into that airport by the wagon wheel. Whoa. This is back in the 80s. Whoa. And we got to sit at his table at the front, at the not the dais, but we all sat at a round table right in front of yes. the lectern. Yeah. And we sat and picked his brain and he picked ours. He he showed as much interest in our careers as we did in his. Because wow. he's the star of that event, not Dan and Doug, right? Yeah, of course. But he was so kind and generous with his time and his stories. Oh, my God. What, did he come in to speak it, to a room full it was of Rotarians a, it or was something? A, Political. Oh, gotcha. Guest. He was there as the MC, no, an MC. He was the guest speaker for, I can't remember who it was. Okay. Let's say it was Scott Christensen or Herb Allen or somebody. Okay. Not Herb Allen. Herb Brown was, we, we did things for him in the past too. That's where I got to meet Franklin McCormick oh from GN. Yeah. And I got to, well, anyway, that's another whole, whole story. And we were paid for this, by the way, Dan and I, to do this. Were you really? Do this gig. Not by Paul, but by the campaign or whatever it was because Paul was there as a guest speaker good for you and it was the only thing I miss is is to be able to go out and see his airplane and take a ride with him (laughs) because he had a he had a pilot too that came with him he He was a multi multi millionaire he he did well over the years the most listened to radio person in the United States and he's a one-man band basically and one of the most down-to-earth guys I've ever... I would have thought he be, would have been a little more standoffish than he was, but he was just oh, gracious that's, and that's kind. That's so and, good to hear. And he brought the house down with his stories. Yeah. It was just a great experience. Do you have a story uh, that jumps out at you from the newsroom? My favorite newsroom story involves me trying to break people up. Oh, no. And I was known to be a real troublemaker at times. And I remember one time... There was a guy named Bob Schumann, who you might remember. I do. Bob Schumann. He was at TV 17 for a long time. After he left ROK. Yeah. He went to 17, and, yeah. and then I don't know whatever. I know he died uh, not long after his departed from Channel 17. Don't know. But wonderful guy. Brilliant, funny, but easy to break up. Sort of in that category of Ken Staff. Yeah, well, Ken Staff was a little more formal and would be harder to break up because oh, I tried. Oh. <laughs> I tried to mess up his hair on one of those telethons one oh, time. Oh, you don't you touch, don't his touch hair. that hair. Oh, no. In fact, we hired him to <laughs> sing at my daughter's wedding. Did you really? Ken Staff sang at my daughter's wedding, yep. Holy cow. Back in uh, 1998, I think it was. Wow. Yeah, wonderful guy. So anyway, Bob Schumann. Bob Schumann. He, uh, he was easy. One of the hardest was Ken DeCoster. Oh, yeah. Ken DeCoster is a serious professional. newsman, professional, blah, yes. blah, blah. Yes. Wonderful guy, but yes. hard to break up. I think maybe I might have done it once or twice. He's in the zone. Yeah. When that mic goes on in the right. newsroom. Oh, there's a lot of guys like that, but Bob was not one of them. Schumann was easy. <laughs> and another relatively easy one was Fred Spear. Oh. My good buddy Fred Spear, who will also do one of these broadcasts at some point in time. I just talked to him yesterday. And Fred, when he's reading a newscast, I went in there with the fire extinguisher and set this news on fire. And, and he used the fire extinguisher in his studio, and he just lost it. That's even but he funny. But he it to the end to get the story right. That's even funnier because he carried, he covered so many fires. Well, that's why. A fire oh, extinguisher in Fred, oh. he, wakes, he had one over his bed. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> for a, a different with, reason. With an axe. <laughs> and that's for a different reason. He really reason. did have an axe in his house, though, in his living room. Well, I, th- I understood. Give it to him by the fire department. Yeah, I understand. They gave him full gear. Oh, yeah. So when he would show up, he would be ready to go wherever he needed to to cover this uh, Let me tell you story. what a great guy Fred is, and he, we'll probably t- cover that when we do his, or we, whoever does his broadcast on this uh, podcast. He uh, helped save lives in the Belvedere tornado in 1967. Yes. He came there, and and he can tell the story better than anybody, so I'm sure we'll ask him, or you'll ask him, or whoever interviews We'll, we'll him. make a note to make sure we ask him. Yeah, ask him about that, how he helped save lives, because he has covered more tragic stories in his life than I'd care to ever think about, including oh, yeah. Simon Peter Nelson killing his whole family and the family dog, etc. He was there. He got there the same time the police got there, yeah. and they let him in. Yeah. He had access because he had trust of the fire 
police department, sheriff's department, whatever, because they knew he would maintain the confidence needed for a story. If Everybody. they said, Fred, don't release this till 7 p.m., he would not release it. If Vern Nolte came into him and said, Fred, I want this story on at 5, Can't he do wouldn't it. do it. Nope. He was true to his sources. He was. And that's why he was a great newsman and still is a great guy. Yeah. And he's now 86. Yeah. And he was so happy that a lot of us sent him cards and yeah. Acknowledge. He's he's fun to get together with lunch. I oh, mean, yeah. we we started out with two people. It was you and I, and then it went to four, and then it went you to twelve. You got bored with me, didn't you? I yeah. did. I yeah. needed I other material. You. I know, I know. But then I think the I last. I get tired of hearing me. I think. <laughs> I think the last one we had twelve people. They just pile in. It's just oh, and the late Liz Wilder was there too, wasn't she? The late, as in 10 minutes late, not dead? I think it was an hour. Oh, no. Yeah. At Applebee's, yeah, it was quite a, But that was one of the oh, best. Oh, that we, time? Yes. Oh, yeah, she's been late several times, but, but that, that time was, was an hour. But that was one of the best because it was just the four of us, so we sat there for how long? I know, but it was that, that gave us an opportunity to tell it, Liz dirt stories without her being there. Everything. And then oh. all of a sudden when she shows up, it's like everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> And then we were trying to make her pay for it, yeah. and of course well, that yeah, didn't happen. I thought that would work. No, that was, no, never happened. I tried that. No, never happens. Wow. Well, we'll get Brian to pay for it. He could write it off. <laughs> That's never going to happen. No more than Sandy paying for it. No, no. Oh By the way, you, you guys have wonderful mates in your life. You know that, both of them, Brian and, and uh, Sandy? Mm -hmm. They should get together. You're blessed to have Sandy, believe me, because you don't deserve her. I know, I know. You know, I met her at WROK. Well, a lot of people met at that place. I think yes. I think Riley O'Neill met his yes. current bride at the, at, yeah. the, at the station. And you remember John Amy. and Tia Stimes? Yes. And yes. Bill and Marianne Axe? I saw them day yeah. before yesterday at Woodman's. Did you really? I haven't seen them in years. And Mary Ann still looks great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She's a tall drink of water. It's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to not see her in a store. Well, that's why I wore my big shoes when really big shoes. Yeah. Did you wear your big panties too? Yeah. Did you? Because every time you need to pull up your big panties and uh, get on with it, Doug. You, Come on. I, we weren't supposed to talk about that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I know. Liz and I so talk about it. Dresses, you know. Again, we're talking about dresses and underwear. Oh, know, Holy right? crap. Well, I'll tell you, Doug, I think what will happen is uh, we will end up having you back for another segment because there are so many other stories and I know that other people being in here are going to make you think of other stories. Oh, so this is me. this is not your only segment. We in the, have only got to the tip of the old iceberg. That's yeah. right. So yeah. we will be back, I'm sure. That's I don't know when. We've only just begun. Thank you, the Carpenters, uh, and we'll we could pull that album and play that vinyl on our way. This out. time I want cash, though. No check, please. Oh, <laughs> see, by the way, there, folks, you that's went a and joke. ruined it. <laughs> we'll be back in the Storyteller Studio later on with Doug McDuff. But uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm Tim Larson, along with Liz Wilder and Doug McDuff here, celebrating the 100th anniversary of WROK Radio in Rockford, Illinois. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller's Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.